98K News. It's 11 o'clock, I'm Todd Harding. Tonight's headlines. Police say the Yunlong attacks were a clash between two sides, not an indiscriminate attack, as they announced the arrests of 13 suspects for rioting. The Pan-Democrats say the force is trying to whitewash history. And silent community COVID infections continue, even as the government prepares to scale back social distancing measures. The police have confirmed the arrests of Democratic Party legislator Lam Chuk Ting and a dozen others for rioting during the attacks at the Yunlong MTR station on July the 21st last year. In explaining the lawmakers' arrest, the force has given a completely new version of events as to what happens. Happened. They say there were clashes between two sides, not an indiscriminate attack by a white-shirted mob. Timmy Sung has more. Police Senior Superintendent Chen Tinchu said it wasn't a one-sided attack. Two groups of people were throwing objects and attacking each other. And just because Lam Chekhtin was live-streaming doesn't mean he didn't have a role in what happened. You don't actually to be the person who make the actual assault. You only be only be the one of the person as a party of the assembly, in which the assembly there are three or more people doing the uh, conduct, such as disorderly conduct, threatening, abusive, provoking conduct, and likely to provoke a breach of the peace. As a news briefing, the police sought to clarify what they said were the biased, twisted, misleading and false information circulating in a community about what really happened that night. Ms Chen said the true picture was that the white-shirted man did not indiscriminately attack passengers and protesters. Two live streams of what happened were, he said, one-sided and incomplete. He said, in fact, many passengers had left the station after a short clash inside, which turned into a standoff between two groups of people, which then escalated to clashes. The senior policeman also insisted that the previous calculation of the time it took for officers to reach the scene was incorrect. He said instead of the earlier police figure of 39 minutes, the true figure is 80 minutes, because that's how much time it took for reinforcements to arrive after three officers called for backup. The pan-democratic camp has reacted furiously to the arrests and the new version of events put forward by the police. They accused the force of trying to whitewash history and called the arrests an affront to the people's conscience and common sense. Council front lawmaker Claudia Moe said the police are trying to show that they believe they can now act with impunity. They just they show their political statement. We are very correct. We are the law. If we think you are criminal, we arrest you. We don't need any particularly good reasons at all. We just do what we need to do. And we can say what we want to say because we are the law. What sort of muddy, dire situation are you trying to land the whole Hong Kong into? The opposition camp urged people to show their opposition to the arrest by wearing black tomorrow. But pro-Beijing lawmaker Junius Ho welcomed the arrests. It's already a little bit late in coming, but being late is better than never. So when it happens today, I welcome this, you know, this latest action taken by the police. But of course I would have thought that action should have been taken much, much longer time before. Another Democratic Party lawmaker, Ted Hoy, along with two others, were also arrested today over an incident outside Tun Mun Police Station on July the 6th last year. They're suspected of offences including illegal assembly and perverting the course of justice. 
The party said Mr Hoy suddenly felt unwell in the evening and was taken to North District Hospital for treatment. To other news, Hong Kong has reported 24 new coronavirus cases today, all of which are locally acquired infections. Officials say they're unable to trace the source of infection for 10 patients. Dr Trung Shukwan of the Centre for Health Protection was asked whether it's appropriate for the government to go ahead with relaxing social distancing restrictions on Friday. The proportion of unknown source cases has been quite, I mean, 30 to 40 percent the proportion has been disproportionate for quite a while. So this means there is silent transmission in the community, but due to the, I mean, the practical reason for the community, we can't um, restrict the social distancing measure um, forever. That's why the government is relaxing bit by bit cautiously. Tunmun Hospital says an 81-year-old man infected with the coronavirus has passed away. This brings the total number of COVID-19 deaths in Hong Kong to 79. You're listening to RTHK. The time is five minutes past 11. The convener of the Small and Medium Restaurant Federation, Gordon Lam, has urged the government to relax a ban on gatherings of more than two people. He says the announcement yesterday that restaurants would be allowed to open until 9 o'clock instead of 6 will not help much if they can't seat at least four people to a table. Mr Lam, a member of the Civic Party, also called on the administration to support the hospitality sector and other hard-hit industries in its next round of anti-epidemic funding. He's suggesting a three-month rent subsidy. Rent in Hong Kong is the most important cost for our catering industry. We have the contract with the landlord and we have also each month have the transaction we can provide to the government. So they can, according to our transaction and the contract, give back the 50% rent to the restaurant and also provide some tax refund to the landlord so they can attract them to reduce the rent in the coming season. A public doctor has hit back at criticism from the chief executive Carrie Lam, who yesterday accused medical experts of smearing mainland authorities by speaking out against the government's free COVID-19 testing scheme. Mainland counterparts are assisting the government in the scheme. Arasina Ma, the president of the Public Doctors Association, reiterated what many in the medical community have said, that the government should focus on testing high-risk groups such as the elderly and care home residents where outbreaks had occurred. I know that they are doing the testing, only uh, screening tests for the workers, for the staff of those institutions, but not for the inmates of the institution because of the difficulties of collecting samples. But however, they are really the vulnerable groups and the high-risk groups, so I think they should consider it again. The Secretary for the Civil Service, Patrick Nip, said there were still double-digit increases in infections, many with an unknown source, so the citywide testing could help identify asymptomatic carriers. The Civic Party has urged the government to hold the delayed LegCo election as soon as possible, now that the COVID-19 outbreak is easing. It says the fact the administration is encouraging people to gather and take off their masks for coronavirus testing shows that there's no need to wait a year for the poll. The chief executive, Carrie Lam, yesterday rejected the comparison, saying people will have to book time slots for testing over a two-week period. But party leader Alvin Yeung says the same could apply for an election. If these people can get equipped with all this protection equipment, then why can't polling station staff? 
In the Singaporean election, they divide the voters into different groups and ask them to cast their vote at a different period of time. If Carrie Lam is saying that one day is too short for an election, does it mean if we expand it to two days, three days, could that work? If this is something basically a technical issue, then we can resolve it in a technical way. The Federation of Trade Unions has urged the government to stop allowing private care homes for the elderly to bring in workers from outside Hong Kong. The group says such workers, most of whom come from the mainland, are often exploited and underpaid, typically earning only about three quarters of the salary of their local counterparts. It says qualified local staff have been left unemployed as a result. The FTU's Bill Tang says the administration should increase penalties for employers who break the rules while enhancing the skills of local workers. Now Hong Kong suffering the very high unemployment rate, we urge government to suspend all new application of imported worker to protect not only imported worker but also our local worker who want to join this uh, industry. The seventh land border crossing linking Hong Kong with Shenzhen opened today, but for now the new, new Lientang port, Heng Yun Wai boundary control point will only serve cargo trucks because of the pandemic. Damon Pang reports. Senior mainland and Hong Kong officials were on hand at the opening ceremony of the new border crossing. The $33 billion project ended up costing double the initial estimate. But Chief Executive Carrie Lam said the checkpoint will help increase cross-border cooperation and boost development within the Greater Bay Area. However, as coronavirus travel restrictions remain in place, it will only serve cargo trucks for now and operate from 7 in the morning until 10 at night. The head of a cargo association, Stanley Chiang, says cross-border trucks using this border point mostly use it to access cities in eastern Guangdong, such as Huidong and Shantou. He says the new crossing cuts down journey times because unlike other border points like Mankamtou and Shantoukok, Heng Yunwai leads to highways on both sides of the border. But not everyone is happy with the new crossing. The vice chair of the North District Council, Dino Chen, is worried that it would lead to a surge in cross-border trading activity that would bring huge crowds to areas like Shangshui and Fanling. The Democratic Party councillor is concerned that local shops will be taken over by businesses that cater primarily to mainland shoppers, like jewellery shops and pharmacies, saying businesses should instead serve local residents. The University of Science and Technology says it will install 8,000 solar panels by next year. The SAR's biggest solar power system will supply CLP, which buys electricity generated from renewable sources under its feed-in tariff scheme. The university says it will reduce carbon emissions by 1.5 million kilograms per year, equivalent to planting 67,000 trees. Davis Bookhart, its head of sustainability, says the changes will also benefit public health. 50% of our electricity in Hong Kong comes from coal generation. And that produces a lot of uh, negative air impacts. So people who suffer from health problems or uh, asthma, that kind of health impact is really exacerbated by the, um, the emissions that come from these power plants. So that's really, that was one of our, our top priorities was to try to clean up our own act so that we can reduce those kinds of impacts for the, the rest of Hong Kong. Local exports continue to fall in July with the value of exports down 3% year-on-year, compared with a decline of just 1% in the previous month. 
Imports declined 3.4% in July, leaving a trade deficit of nearly $30 billion. But the government said exports to the mainland were a bright spot, chalking up moderate growth even as external demand from overseas trading partners like the United States and Europe fell further. Officials are warning that the outlook for local exports will continue to be clouded by the weak global economy and Sino-US trade tensions. Turning overseas, the authorities in Afghanistan now say around 100 people have died in flash floods that swept through the city of Charikar overnight. Here's the BBC's Secunda Kamani. The flash floods hit in the early hours of the morning, when many were still asleep. Thick streams of mud carrying debris flowed through the streets. Those who could scrambled to safety. But dozens of lives have been lost. Rescue efforts are continuing with support from the armed forces. But these floods are adding to the misery in a country already racked by a violent insurgency and the coronavirus pandemic. Two people have been killed and one injured during continued unrest in the city of Kenosha in the northern U.S. state of Wisconsin. It broke out after a black man, Jacob Blake, was shot and seriously injured by police on Sunday. For a third night, demonstrators clashed with riot police who were not directly involved in the shootings at the protests. Mola Lenge from CBS is in Kenosha. It's unclear at this point if the protests sparked the shooting. Police are still searching for the shooter or shooters, but the shooting did happen during and near the protests, not too far from where we are right here. This is the Kenosha County Courthouse. It's really been the front line in the standoff between police and the protesters. Steel fencing was erected by police yesterday to kind of protect themselves and protect uh, some of the government buildings here, uh, the courthouse, the police department. And it seemed to do that last night, but that uh, certainly has done nothing to reduce the tension. Japanese scientists say they have new evidence to suggest bacteria could survive a journey from Earth to Mars. The BBC's Emily Haller explains. The Deinococcus microbe is extremely resistant to radiation, freezing cold temperatures, dehydration and ultraviolet light because it can repair its DNA when it gets damaged. So scientists took clumps of the bacteria and attached them to the outside of the International Space Station. After three years, they found that whilst the outer layers of the clusters were destroyed, they had shielded the inner layers from the ravages of space. The researchers believe this finding helped support the theory that life on Earth began with microbes that arrived from outer space on comets and meteorites. A reminder of our top stories tonight. Police say the Yunlong attacks were a clash between two sides, not an indiscriminate attack, as they announced the arrest of 13 suspects for rioting. The Pan-Democrats say the force is trying to whitewash history. And silent community COVID infections continue, even as the government prepares to scale back social distancing measures. The news from RTHK. RTHK, Radio 3. It's time now to look at stories covered in this evening's News Wrap programme. The police have confirmed the arrests of Democratic Party legislator Lam Chuk Ting and a dozen others for rioting during the attacks at the Yunlong MTR station on July the 21st last year. In explaining the lawmakers' arrest, the force has given a completely new version of events as to what happened. They now say there were clashes between two sides, not an indiscriminate attack by a white-shirted mob, and the police only took 18 minutes to reach the scene, revising their own earlier figure of 39 minutes. Timmy Sung reports. Lam Chak Ting had been beaten bloody on the evening of July 21st. 
He headline streamed what appeared to be an indiscriminate attack on passengers, both black clad protesters and ordinary commuters at a Yunnan MTR station. Dozens were hurt, including Mr. Lam, and a wide assumption was that he was a victim of the violence. Not so, say the police, after they arrested the Democratic Party lawmaker on charges of rioting. Police Senior Superintendent Chen Tinchu said it wasn't a one-sided attack. Two groups of people were throwing objects and attacking each other. And just because Lam Chekting was live-streaming doesn't mean he didn't have a role in what happened. You don't actually to be the person who make the actual assault. You only be only be the one of the person as a party of the assembly, and in which the assembly there are three or more people doing the conduct, such as disorderly conduct, threatening, abusive, provoking conduct, and likely to provoke a breach of the peace. As a news briefing, the police sought to clarify what they said were the biased, twisted, misleading and false information circulating in a community about what really happened that night. Ms Chen said the true picture was that the white shutter man did not indiscriminately attack passengers and protesters. Two live streams of what happened were, he said, one-sided and incomplete. He said, in fact, many passengers had left the station after a short clash inside, which turned into a standoff between two groups of people, which then escalated to clashes. The senior policeman also insisted that the previous calculation of the time it took for officers to reach the scene was incorrect. He said instead of the earlier police figure of 39 minutes, the true figure is 80 minutes, because that's how much time it took for reinforcements to arrive after three officers called for backup. They themselves had left the scene after calling for reinforcements. Ms Chen explained the earlier mistake by saying the force didn't have all the information at the time. The senior superintendent also denied allegations that police had ever colluded with triad gangs. He said a widely circulated picture showing a policeman patting a shoulder of a white shirted man was taken out of context. What really happened was the officer was trying to defuse tensions between the two sides and was pushing two white shirted men away from the scene. In all, 13 people were taken into custody in latest rounds of arrests, including Lam Chuk Ting. Mr Lam and his colleague, Ted Hui, and two other people were arrested over a separate incident outside Tumun police station in early July. They are accused of deleting pictures from a man's phone, who have been accused of taking photos of protesters. The Democratic Party condemned the arrests, saying it's like pointing to a deer and called it a horse. Wu Chi-wai, the party chairman, accused the police of taking revenge at his party mates. It's ridiculous that the police put Lam Chuk Teng being a victim and now put him into under investigation case. So I can only say that we can easily draw a concluding remark that it is a revenge taken by the police force try to revenge on Lam Chuk Teng and Ted Hui's act. But pro-Beijing lawmaker Junior So welcomed the arrests. It's already a little bit late in coming, but being late is better than never. So when it happens today, I welcome this, you know, this latest action taken by the police. But of course, I would have thought that action should have been taken much, much longer time before. Mr Ho also said he had given a statement to the police over the July 21st attacks. 
He was filmed shaking hands with a white-clad man in Yunlong at around the time of the assaults, but has always denied any involvement in the incident. Hong Kong has recorded 24 new coronavirus cases today. All are locally acquired and officials are unable to trace the source of infections for 10 patients. Our reporter Wendy Wong was listening in to the Health Authority's daily COVID-19 briefing and she told Anna-Marie Evans about these latest cases. The infection figures rose back to 24 from 9 on Monday and 19 yesterday. Dr. Chuan Shukran of the Centre for Health Protection said it's normal for the number to fluctuate as the epidemic is still not fully under control. But she said the overall trend is still going down. So the government announced yesterday that it would ease some social distancing restrictions on Friday. For example, restaurants can serve diners until 9 in the evening instead of 6. At the daily news briefing, many reporters asked Dr. Chuan if it's appropriate for the government to go ahead with the plan. The proportion of unknown source cases has been 34% and the proportion has been disproportion for quite a while. So this means there's silent transmission in the community, but due to the practical reason for the community, we can't restrict the social distancing measure forever. That's why the government is relaxing bit by bit cautiously. So who are these people infected via unknown sources? Um, Dr. Chuan said they come from different industries, including a personal driver, a security guard, a renovation worker, a customs officer, a waiter who works at a Chinese restaurant, and a retiree. So she can't really tell which sector is at a higher risk. There are also some cases linked to previously confirmed infections, including a cluster at a care home for the disabled in Lei Mokshu. Six more residents and one worker there have been confirmed with COVID-19. And the number of people who have come down with the disease there has risen to 10. About a dozen other people have also tested positive for the virus in preliminary tests. Forty years ago today, mainland authorities established China's first special economic zone in Sanjian, planting the seeds for the transformation of a small fishing village into an economic powerhouse by adopting business and trade-friendly policies. Priscilla Ng looks back at the city's rise. Shenzhen is considered a trailblazer in China's reform and opening up. The plan to turn what used to be a backward fishing village into the country's first special economic zone was formulated in 1980 to fast-track its development. It was seen as one of the catalysts in China's transformation from a centrally planned to an increasingly market-driven economy. There are now dozens of special economic and free trade zones across the nation. And today, Shenzhen, with a population of over 13 million, is one of the most prosperous cities in the country. Its GDP skyrocketed to 2.87 trillion Hong Kong dollars last year, surpassing the SAR's economic output. The vice chairwoman of mainland headwear holdings, Yen Baoling, who first set up factories in Shenzhen in the early 90s, said she's impressed by all the changes over the years. Everything was so drastically different back then, she said. We used to have to drive for over three hours up and down bumpy roads to get to the factory. But now, everything is so well connected by the metro system. Whitman Hong, principal liaison officer for the Hong Kong Shenzhen Qianhai Authority, said it is precisely the openness and flexibility of Shenzhen officials that supercharged the economy there. He conceded, however, that the city faces a range of challenges in its quest for further development.
There's not much land left in Shenzhen right now that could be used uh, as you know development. Cost of living is very high compared with some of the other cities, which make it somehow less attractive to the talent, which was one of the driving forces of the growth of uh, Shenzhen. Uh, another thing is that the government of Shenzhen had um, rightly um, acknowledged the fact that there are certain things that need to be done to make to, to increase basically the happiness uh, of the Shenzhen people, which includes medical, you know, hospitals, uh, schools, uh, and then the um, you know cleaning up the pollution. But with Shenzhen doing so far so well, Professor Hong said Hong Kong has a lot to worry about. For whatever reason, you know, our parents, uh, the generation before us in Hong Kong. They were all very open to new immigrants, to not other countries' people. But these day and age in Hong Kong, we have become very, you know, close-minded. I have never seen a, a successful metropolis that is not open. And then, of course, the flip side of our good rule of law is our rigidness in terms of legislations and regulatory bodies. Now, that also hinders us from... Are moving towards innovation and technology. We are still very happy with our octopus cards. He called on the SAR administration to cut red tape and think out of the box in order to attract foreign and mainland firms to set up shop here. Real estate services firm Colliers International says mainland interest in Hong Kong property is returning after a sluggish year amid trade tensions with the U.S. and anti-government protests here. Its research shows companies from across the border are some of the few investors in the Hong Kong market in recent months. It says they're becoming increasingly active as the recovery from the coronavirus pandemic gathers pace on the mainland. Rosanna Tang, head of research in Hong Kong and southern China for Colliers, spoke to Candice Wong. In the last 12 months, we did see a relatively slow momentum um, in the Hong Kong's real estate market, no matter from the leasing or investment side. However, in the recent weeks, uh, we do see, or recent months, we do see some signs of pickup or relative resilience um, of the demand side coming from these Chinese institutions. Well, this is also supported, I think, um, based on a couple of factors, including uh, a recovery of China's economy, some of the cross-border financial initiatives like in the stock market and the wealth management market. And from what incidents or what deals that you find that Chinese companies are eyeing into Hong Kong real estate market again? Like, for example, let's say for the leasing front, for the first half of 2020, although overall the leasing market is not particularly active, however, we do find that for the new letting and the lease renewal deals in the great offers market, about 11% are conducted by mainland Chinese firms. And um, in terms of the industries, Almost 65% are coming from banking and finance. And this also echoed with the fact that about some of the cross-border financial initiatives like the Stock Connect in 2014, Bond Connect in 2017. All these should allow the mainland companies or should drive more of these kind of mainland demand coming to set up or raise funds in Hong Kong. And in the investment side, of course, last year we do see some of the offices investors are staying relatively quiet. However, in terms of the mainland purchaser or mainland investors, actually, I think the top two investors for last years are, are, are coming from mainland Chinese. And are the Chinese corporates and investors particularly active um, in the first half of this year? How does it compare to, say, last year, the same period last year? 
Well, I should say the, the last year overall, the Hong Kong market momentum is relatively sluggish. I would say this is because of a couple of impacts that are derived from the U.S.-China trade tension. And we have the um, also have the local protests that are ongoing. That may hesitate some of the companies who are looking into Hong Kong. They may take a wait-and-see approach while the things are getting more settled. But relatively speaking, the, the Chinese demand this year is, is having more active stance compared to the last year as well. And finally tonight, hemp oil has been used as a traditional remedy for years. Derived from a cannabis plant compound, it's touted as a miracle cure for many ailments, including anxiety. And now it's going to be given to some rather unusual patients, two young female elephants who've been going through a difficult time since the death of an older female in their zoo in the Polish capital. The BBC's Adam Easton is in Warsaw. There were three female African elephants at Warsaw Zoo. But unfortunately, in March, the oldest and largest elephant among them, Erna, died, sadly, at the age of 35. And ever since, one of the younger females in particular, who's called Fredja, has been showing obvious signs of stress. Now, the animal's keeper said Fredja and her companion, who's called Booba, have been having trouble establishing a new hierarchy between themselves because it's just the two of them. Now, apparently it could take months or even years for elephants to come to terms with the loss of the herd elder. So uh, the zoo has decided to try out hemp oil on the elephants to reduce their stress levels. Now, hemp oil is made by extracting the compound, I'll, I'll probably not pronounce this right, cannabidiol, or it's sometimes known as CBD, from cannabis plants, which is then mixed with uh, either coconut or hemp seed oil. And although it comes from cannabis plants, on its own, CBD does not produce a feeling of intoxication, there's no drug high, and it is now commonly used in treating several ailments, uh, um, I say, epilepsy and, as you mentioned, anxiety, as it's thought to stimulate the production of serotonin and dopamine, which can help combat depression. Those stories were part of the Newswrap programme, which was broadcast on RTHK earlier this evening. Todd Harding from our newsroom. To prevent the spread of COVID-19, try flexible working hours and staggered meal breaks. Wear a mask on public transport. Avoid crowded lifts. Try not to hold large meetings and reduce face-to-face -face contact with colleagues. Avoid meal gatherings. Stay away from crowds after work. Wash hands frequently and keep the workplace clean. If you feel unwell, stay away from work and see your doctor. Visit coronavirus.gov.hk for details. Live across Hong Kong, this is Radio 3. January to December, we'll have moments to remember. to remember. This is from Jesus Christ Superstar. Richard Clayderman at the piano.
Andrew Lloyd Webber. I don't know how to love him. Richard Clayton at the 